This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Shavua Tov out there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another week on Chai FM. And of course, with me, Rebetzin Adel Kazilski, we are studying the Chumash. And uh, we are following the trials and tribulations right now of our forefather, Avraham, and his good wife, Sarah. And uh, we're learning lessons that we can take into our personal lives on a daily basis. And, of course, as always, I love to hear from you. So if you have any questions, you have any comments, whatever it is, join the conversation. The SMS line is 34519, Telegram 061-895-1019. If you really would like to chat, it's 10 140 Right, last week we only actually learned one verse, um, and that was the verse of the um, angels who we know were being entertained by our forefather Abraham, and um, Abraham went out of his way, gave them a four-course meal, was standing over them, looking and watching um, them eat, etc., etc., and we took a bit of a tangent because last Monday was Tobishvat, and so we started speaking about um Saying brachot, saying um, uh, blessings before we eat and after we eat and discussing a whole lot of stuff around that. Now we're going to go back into the story and follow up a little bit further. So last week we were on chapter 18, verse 9. We are now going to pick up on verse 10, which reads as follows. So I'm going to read verse 9 actually again, so you know... The context, and then we can follow on. So verse 9 reads, Vayomru elav, they say to him, meaning the angels, the three angels that came to visit Avraham, say to him, Aye, Sarah Ishtacha, where is Sarah, your wife? Vayomer hine ba'ohel, and he says, behold, she is in the tent. So the angel turns around and says, Vayomer, he says, Shuv ashuv elecha, know that I will surely return to you. Ka'et chaya, this time next year. Ve'hine ben l'sara. Behold, Sarah will have a son, l'sara ishtacha, to Sarah your wife. Ve'sara shoma'at petacha ohel. Sarah was listening at the opening of the tent. Ve'hu acharav. And he was behind it. Then what happens? Verse 11. The Abraham, the Sarah, Zakanim. Abraham and Sarah were old. Baim, Bayamim. They had come on in years. They were well on in years. Chadal Sarah Orach Kanashim. Sarah no longer had a woman's menstrual cycle. But Titzchak Sarah Bekirba. Sarah laughed in, internally. Lamor. And she said, Achare Veloiti Hayiti Li. Um, Edna. Va'adoniza came. Behold, I am now worn out. Shall I have my heart's desire? And my husband is old. Va'yomer Hashem al-Abraham. Hashem says to Abraham, Lama ze Sarah? Why did Sarah laugh? Le'mor he'af omnam elad va'ani zakanti. Why did Sarah laugh saying, When will I, will I then also give birth when I am so old? Is anything not too hard for God? 
I will come back at a point of time and Sarah will have a son. Sarah, Sarah denied it. Lamor saying, I did not laugh. Kiyare, because she was afraid. Vayomer, and he said, Lord Sakakta, but you did laugh. That was obviously Abraham coming back after God went and said, Hey, why is Sarah laughing? It's no laughing matter. I'm God. I can perform a miracle. He obviously chided Sarah, and Sarah says, No, I didn't laugh. Why? Because she was fearful. Um, and she said, I didn't laugh, and Abraham says, But you did. And that was the end of the conversation. And then it ends up, V'yakumu misham ha'anashim, the men get up from where they are, V'yashkifu al dom, they turn their sights on the city of Sdom, V'avraham holech imam l'shalcham, Abraham goes with them and escorts them. Couple of verses, um, on the face level, it seems that the angel had come to tell Sarah that she would have a child. Sarah finds it quite preposterous, the entire idea. She was old. She was 99. Abraham was going to be 100. Um, she had stopped her menstrual, menstrual cycle well into her menopause. Um, Abraham was circumcised. Like the possibility of a child really seemed incomprehensible. Um, and when she laughed, God pulls Abraham aside and say, why did she laugh? To which Abraham says to her, why did you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. Doesn't really get resolved further than that. And then all we know is the men get up and they set their sights on storm. So as always, when we come to learning Torah, we have to look deeper into the Mephorashim, into the commentators and into the Midrashim that fill in really what is happening over here. Because on the face level, it seems like there was stuff that wasn't completed and why they're turning and looking towards storm, what is going on. So the first thing that we need to understand is that three angels came to visit Abraham. Now, we can ask ourselves the question, why? Because it seems that they came as a group, they sat down, one says something, and that is that you're going to have a son, and then they get up and they go to storm. So the Midrash comes and tells us that, in fact, the reason why there were three angels is because they came with three missions. To understand, an angel is a servant of God, doesn't have a mind of his own, cannot willfully decide between good and bad. They're basically robotic in their functionality. And these three angels came because they had three different missions to fulfill. The first angel, Raphael, actually came to heal Abraham. And as you recall from the previous podcasts um, in, in our discussion, Abraham was sitting. It was the third day of his Brit Milah. He was um, <clears throat> in a lot of pain. God had come to do Bikur Cholim. God had come to visit the sick. And Raphael had come to heal him. So that was the mission of Raphael. Michael had come. To give a message. The message was to tell you that this time next year you are going to have a child. You're going to have a son. That was his mission. The third was 
coming to tell Abraham that in fact the the evilness and the the the, the very wrongful sinful behavior of the people and Storm and Gomorrah had come before God and that they were instructed to go and destroy Storm. Therefore, this explains that even though this wasn't said um, in the practical verses, we can then understand that the men got up and set their eyes on Storm. Raphael came to heal, mission completed. Michal came to give the message that you're going to have a child, mission completed, and now the third mission of going to destroy Storm was to follow. But let's take a bit of a step back now and understand why the conversation with Sarah and, and not necessarily Sarah, but with the angels and Avraham, the angel, um, Avraham and God, and then Avraham and Sarah kind of like remained incomplete. There really wasn't a, a conclusion to it um, other than that we are told that Sarah laughed. Now, why did Sarah laugh? So we've got we we need we need to understand that from a practical point of view this message did seem incomprehensible. Sarah as the Torah explains that her menstrual period had long gone so from a practical physical point of view she um, could no longer um bear children and in fact we are told that she didn't laugh out loud, but following the verse where it says um, that Sarah laughed with inside her, Sarah Bekirba. She laughed inside of her, which means she laughed to herself. Like this is incomprehensible. A one, I I'm 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 way past menopause. And B, she says, very interestingly. My husband is old. That's what she said. And by that she inferred, well, look, Avram is a hundred years old. He's just gone through a Brit Miller. The, the, the ability to comprehend having a child in a year's time in a natural way was like for us right now, thinking that tomorrow we'll be able to catch a quick shuttle and go visit Mars. It was completely incomprehensible. And so she laughed to herself. About the entire situation. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Right, well, welcome back. And um, just before the break, we're listening to uh, Sarah laugh and jest um, at the possibility of her having a child. But now we see a twist in the story. Okay, um, by the way, just before we get to the twist in the story, another thing to mention, many rabbis, many rabbis take the word Vatitzach Sarah Bekirba. Sarah laughed inside herself, not just as a figurative thing that she laughed internally and went, haha, this is ridiculous, but she laughed Bekirba at her insides, meaning she said, how can I have a child? How can I have breasts that have withered produce milk? How can I um, carry a child in a uterus that is no longer there. How is it that my husband, who's very old and weak and circumcised, she was laughing at the physiolo- physiological impossibility of it all. Now, God comes to Avraham and he says the following, Lama Sarah, why did Sarah laugh? Lamor saying, 
ha'af omnan eiled, will I then also give birth, ve'ani zakanti, since I am so old. Now that's not what Sarah said. Go see and see what Sarah said. Sarah went and said, um, I'm just getting back to the verse. Sarah said, Will I am so worn out? Will I get my heart's desire? And my husband is old. Straight away, the rabbis pick up an anomaly here. When she was thinking to herself, like, what am I going to do? It was about the fact that my husband is old. When God is telling Abraham, why is Sarah laughing? She went and said, says God to Abraham, will I then also give birth when I am old? She didn't go and say that she's old. She said, Abraham's old. She was laughing, yes, that she's menopausal and, and she doesn't have the physiological ability to give birth to a child. But who's the old one here? In Sarah's eyes, her husband is old. In God's eyes, God says, she said, Sarah was old. So the rabbis come and say something very interesting here. This teaches that, that one may alter the truth to preserve peace. Why? God loves peace. He hates controversy. Okay? If he had told Abraham that Sarah considered him too old to have children, it could very well be that Abraham would have been pretty upset with Sarah and it would have caused strife between them. So God wanted to maintain love and peace in the family, and so he took some poetic license. And he went and told Abraham that Sarah concern, uh, 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 considers herself being old. And this is an important lesson um, that one should learn, that if it does come to a dispute between two people, between husband and wife, between child and, and parent, between friends, that if it is of not too great a value, one is able to alter the truth in order to preserve peace. Now, one of the other things that, that, that God was really pulling out or, or, or actually asking about Sarah is how could Sarah make such a mistake? I, God, have created man out of earth. I've done huge miracles for you. She should believe my word. And that was really what he was saying to Abraham. How could Sarah laugh and say, I can't have a child? Is there nothing too hard for God? At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So we learn a couple of lessons from that that is very, very important. First of all, when somebody gives you good news or somebody gives you a blessing that some good news should happen, one, when, when one hears such a blessing, one should always res, uh, respond amen, indicating that you concur. So I said, please God, next year you should, you should have lots of simcha, amen. Please God, you should da 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 da, amen. Because when somebody says something by answering Amen, you're giving much greater power for that thing to be fulfilled. So 
both sides. If you are in a situation where you can give a blessing to somebody or a good wish to somebody, do so. And if you are, on the other hand, the person receiving that blessing, be sure to say Amen. The question, though, begs to be asked. We are told that Sarah was um, was greater in prophecy than Avraham. Okay, um, and she. It doesn't seem right that she laughed at God's incapacity to give her a child. If this message was given to her, number one, she should, should have just answered Amen, and secondly. Surely she would have understood from everything that was happening now and had happened to her in her trials and tribulations with Abraham that God can actually pull through. So what that you don't have a womb that is receptive right now? So what that your husband is old? God's not performed miracles for you before. Why is it that you should laugh? And the rabbis bat- battle and discuss this question. And in fact, we are told that Sarah actually did believe that she would have a child, even though she was old, because she had seen God's miracles. Um, what she was laughing at was she was laughing at the angels. Why? Because these angels didn't come up as angels. They didn't arrive at the door as angels. They actually appeared as ordinary human beings. And they said, I will return to you next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a child. Those are the words that, that, that the angel said. When she heard that, she started laughing at the angel. Why? Because she perceived it as a human being. And in her mind, she thought, well, man's days are numbered and he can suddenly die. How can he say he will return after a year? How does he know he's going to come back? That's what she was laughing about, not laughing about the fact that she was going to have a child because undeniably she understood and she knew that um, that that God can do anything. She was laughing at the short-sightedness of what she perceived to be a man saying, I will come back next year. And this was a, this was a lesson that she actually understood that man's life is very fragile. And while you can believe and hope that you will be here today and tomorrow and in a year's time and in a hundred years time, you don't know what's in store for you. In fact, there's a very interesting and weird story that I'm going to share with you from the Talmud, um, King Solomon. It happened in the time of King Solomon. King Solomon needed a special worm called a shamir. Um, this worm knew how to eat through rock and he needed it in order to cut the stones for the holy temple because we know that there is a halakha that stones cannot be cut with iron tools and be used in the temple, which is a temple of peace. So King Solomon needed this um, worm called the shamir and so he sent a... Um, a messenger. The messenger's name was Benaya ben Yehoiada. Okay, and he um, knew how to capture a king of the Shadim of of demons. His name was Ashmadai. And um, this was all part of trying to get the, 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 the worm. He had to capture Ashmadai. 
And this Benaya ben Hodiada managed to capture Ashmadai, who was the king of the Shadim, and he placed Ashmadai in chains and he brought him to King, to king Shlomo. And on the way home, Ashmadai did a whole number of strange things. For example, and this is our focus, he saw a man ordering shoes and the, the type of leather the guys, guy wanted, he wanted shoes that would last for seven years. And he started laughing as if it was a great joke. And when Ashmadai was brought to the palace, okay, um, Benaya, uh, Benaya ben Yehudia, the, the messenger said to him, why did you laugh? So why did you laugh when you heard that man um, wanted to order shoes? He said, it's a great joke. He was ordering shoes to last for seven years. This man does not know if he'll live seven days. That's ridiculous. Like, does he not know that he is fragile, that things can happen? So, so too, the rabbis go and explain, Sarah heard the angel say, I will return to you. And she laughed, thinking that he was an ordinary traveler. And she went and thought, well, are you kidding? You don't even know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. And you are making a guarantee that you are going to return next year. Hence, this was the the response. And that explains why when Abraham says, why did you laugh? She goes and says, I didn't laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. And that's really where the, 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 the discussion um, ends because it really wasn't about her laughing about God's capabilities, but rather at the short sightedness of the messenger. Then we're told, the men got up from there, they gazed at Stom, and Abraham um, went with them and sent to send them on their ways. Now, this seems like a pretty benign um, discussion, okay? but there is a huge discussion to be spoken about escorting your guests. Now, two weeks ago, we spoke about the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim, of inviting guests, the protocol and the uh, the way that we as Jewish people should fulfill the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim. And we discussed it at length. We left out one one portion, one part of Hachnasat Orchim, and this is the mitzvah that once one has finished with one's guests, one should escort them. And here, where do we learn it from? From here, from the verse where it says, Abraham holech imam l'shalcham. Abraham went with them to send them on their way. So, why do we have to ex- escort a guest? Well, we're told that there's much, it brings great benefit to a guest when we see the divine, because the divine presence will escort a guest when they're on their way to protect them from all misfortune. And we can see here further that because they were angels, they could have just gone. They could have just said, okay, goodbye and disappeared, not having to walk that they got up and they turned their gaze towards storm and started moving away. They could have just gone poof. Out of the air, they could have just changed from human into, from being a, hu- a human being into the angels and moved on their way. The very fact that they 
got up from where they were walking. They gazed at Storm, meaning that they behaved like ordinary humans and they started walking was a lesson to teach that Abraham had to send them on their way, that there is a mitzvah to escort people. Now, we need to understand this whole idea of escorting, and I'm going to preface the whole idea of escorting uh, guests by telling you another story. And this story is found in the Tanakh. Um, and this is when the Jews found themselves already in the land of Israel. They had finished their 40-year sojourn in the desert. They're now in the land of Israel, and they are fighting um, to conquer the land. They find themselves, and this is all found in Shoftim, if you'd like to go and look in the book of Judges, chapter 1, verses 22 to 26. They're finding themselves in the portion that was going to be given to Joseph to Yosef, um, the tribe of Yosef, and they come to a city called Luz. Now, Luz, they found it very, very difficult to capture. It, um, the Canaanim, the Canaanites, were the um, official residences in the place. They were successful in many, many places. They could not conquer the city of Luz. Why? Because the city had impregnable defenses. Now, this is the way um, the verses read. It says like this. The house of Joseph went up against Beit El, and God was with them. Then the house of Joseph reconnoitred Beit El, and the name of the city is now Luz. The patrol saw a man leave the city, and they said to him, Show us the entrance to the city, and we will deal kindly with you. He showed them the city's entrance, and they struck down the city by sword, but the man and all his family were allowed to leave. The man went then to the land of the Hittites and built a city which he called Luz, and this is its name until today. So just to recap a little bit, basically they were trying to go up against the place called Beit El. They found it very, very difficult. They could not work out how to get in because it looked impregnable. This city had a secret entrance. How did people go in and out of the city? Well, we are told that there was an adjacent cave. It was covered, the entrance of the cave was covered by a huge almond tree, and the trunk of this tree was very thick, and it blocked the cave's opening completely. And in the tree trunk itself, there was a secret secret door through which one could enter the cave and hence the city. So when the Jews wanted to take the city, they couldn't find the entrance. They met this guy, well, sorry, they sent a patrol to watch the city to see if they could discover the way in. And finally, a Canaanite person came out And that's the guy they interrogated. Of course, the Canaanite was afraid to speak, and we're told that he merely pointed to the entrance with his finger. Others said he mouthed with his lips. Nevertheless, the Jews understood then how to enter the city, and that's how they got in. They went through the door in the almond tree, through the cave, and they managed to wipe out all the inhabitants. The only ones whom they left live was this Canaanite and his family as a reward for his information. And they allowed him to leave and settle in another city. What did this man do? 
he went and found founded a city that he called Luz. Um, and this is the name of the city that, that it says in Shoftim remains until today. Now, we are told further that Nebuchadnezzar and Sancherib, when they came to conquer the land, they dispersed the entire population of all the cities in the Holy Land. But this city of Luz that was founded by this Canaanite that survived the massacre of Beit El, um, they didn't, they didn't touch it. And in fact, we were told that even Malachamavis, the angel of death, had no power to enter the city. And anybody who lived, the inhabitants that lived in the city lived for a long time, and they would not die as long as they remained within its borders. When people became very old and lost the will to live, they would leave the city and die, but as long as they remained in the city of Luz, it was completely protected, and nobody ever died. We are told, according to another opinion, just by the way, that from the time of creation, God decided that Malachamavid would not have any power in the pla- in, in this place, in the city they had built, and He wanted all His citizens always to live and to remain healthy um, indefinitely. There's another part to the story which we will get back to after this break. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Now, this city of Luz that we were discussing comes up again in the time of King Solomon. We told that Melech Shlomo had two scribes, Eli Choyri and Achia, and they were the sons of Shisha. Now, they were handsome, intelligent, they were very, very close to them, and one day... King Solomon saw the angel of death looking extremely dejected. When he asked the angel of death why you look so dejected, the Malachim of it, the angel of death replied, the time has come for your two scribes to die. I must kill them today, but seeing how fond you are of them, I find it very difficult. But I can't neglect my duty since I am under orders from on high. Well, we know King Solomon was very powerful and he had power of all things above and below. So he summoned two demons and he had them bring his two scribes to the city of Luz. Why? Because he figured that would save them. Because guess what? In the city of Luz, what did we just learn? The angel of death has no power. So since the angel of death has no power there, he will manage to not allow them not not for them to meet their death. But guess what? On the way to the city, just as they were on the outskirts, both the scribes died. The next day, Shlomo Melech sees the angel of death again, and this time the angel is very excited, very elated. Shlomo asks the reason, and the, the, the Malach Mavit says, you did me a great favor. You see, a person can only die in his, in his destined place. Even when it is on the other side of the world, his feet will bring him there. These two men could only die in proximity to Luz, but since they would, they could not be part, they, could, they couldn't part from you, it was very difficult for me to take their lives. This was especially true since both had to be in the same place. So thank you. I'm happy you arranged it for me in the best possible manner. Meaning, they were supposed to die. It was supposed to happen. 
Shlomo tried to circumvent it by sending them to Luz, but he forgot about the place in between, the travel between Shlomo, where they were probably in Jerusalem, and the city of Luz. And unfortunately, his two scribes' lives were taken at the right time, according to what was demanded on high. Nevertheless, let's go back to the city of Luz. We understood um, that this city was because that Canaanite had shown the Jews the way into the city. And the rabbis come to teach us that the reason why the city of Luz got such a special blessing that the angel of death could never, ever come um, and kill there was because of the kindness that the Canaanite did to the Jews and showing them the entrance to the city. No, he didn't accompany them. Okay, he just showed them the way, and our rabbis learned from there how much more so if a person actually accompanies another towards his destination, he certainly, certainly will merit good reward. And again, we see that, we see that from the account of Elisha in the book of Kings, that when he didn't and he neglected to accompany another, um, it's considered as bloodshed and um, we're told that firstly when we have guests in our house we should walk the guests out and walk them as far as possible we should accompany them that is the first mitzvah today um, except for Shabbos and Yontav I guess when somebody will come to your house and they're walking back we don't we aren't able really to accompany somebody on their destination most times it's just almost just taking them as far as the airport and waving them goodbye so we're told that one of the ways that we can accompany them and protect them and elicit this incredible divine blessing is to give people a coin and tell them that they should travel with this coin and when they arrive at their destination, they should put it into a charity box. This is called Shalich Mitzvah, Shalich Mitzvah Geld, and it is a very, very common practice amongst many, many people because we are told that if you empower somebody on a journey and they're going for a mitzvah, then they are protected. And so many times before people leave, um, on a long trip, particularly that it's overseas, it is customary to give them some money and say, I am empowering you to be a shaliach mitzvah, um, a mitzvah, mitzvah man, um, a, a shaliach, an emissary for a good deed. Please fill that in, um, put that money in to a charity box when you arrive. So that is um, something that is very important. I then came across in the Yalkut Mamlo is something that I don't believe is practiced a lot, um, but I am going to bring it to your attention because there actually is an entire prayer that one um, does before leaving home, and it actually is a dialogue and a sharing of verses from the Torah um, between he who bids the person goodbye and the person who is leaving. Now, very interestingly, there are verses that we know from the Torah, and I'm going to uh, tell you the first part of the prayer. Um, if you are wanting more, it's 
best that you look it up in the Yalkut Me'amlo Es. Um, but this is the first four sets that need to be said before a person leaves. So initially we are told that um, a person says the verse, L'shuatcha kiviti Hashem, kiviti Hashem l'shuatcha, Hashem l'shuatcha kiviti, okay, 30 times. This is actually a verse that um, is found in the Kriyat Shema Alamita when we are um, saying our Shema before we go to sleep. We say this verse um, three times. Here we are told, say it 30 times. And I'm going to show you the mystical um, thing behind it. Then one should say, so that's said 30 times. Then one says six times the verses that speak about the, the ark. Very famous verses again. These verses come from um, the Torah in um, Numbers in Bamidbar, uh, chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. But there are verses that we say at um, in davening in the morning in, on Shabbat and on times that we are taking the Torah out. Vayhi bin Soharon, and when the ark traveled, Vayome Moshe, Moshe would say, Kuma Hashem via Futsu Oivecha, rise up Hashem and let your enemies be scattered, via Nusum Misanecha Mipanecha, and let those who hate you be fled before you. Uvenocha Yomar, and when, when the, the ark rested, he would say, Shuva Hashem revivot alfei Israel, um, O Hashem restore the myriads of thousands of Israel. That should be said six times. Then you should say ten times the verses again from Numbers which make up the Kohanim blessing, Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha, Ya'er Hashem panav elecha v'chunecha, Yisa Hashem panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom. That Hashem should bless you and keep you. God should make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and let God lift his face to you and grant you peace. That's it, ten times. And finally, five times we say uh, the verses, Hamalach Agol Otimi Kolra. These are verses from Genesis chapter 48, verse 16. May the angel who redeemed me from all evil, Yivarecheta Ne'arim, may they bless the lad, Vayikraba Hem Shemi, they should call me by my name, Uvashem Avotai Avram Vayitzchak, and I'm with my forefathers Avraham and Yitzchak, Vayidgul Arov Bekerev Ha'aretz, and, and may they grow to a multitude in the midst of the land. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. I'm going to repeat them again so that if you want to write it down, you can. And then I'll tell you how um, we wrap it up. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Okay, to wrap up. Um, we are told that um, we are to escort people when they leave, and it is a custom for those seeing a person off to recite the following verses as they accompany them. So this is said by you when you are accompanying somebody out. You say the words, the, the verse, L'shotcha kiviti Hashem, 30 times. Vayhi bin Aaron six times, Yivarechecha Hashem v'ishmarecha, ten times, and Hamalacha Gol Oti, five times. And then the traveler will respond with verses that come from Tehillim, V'hinoam Hashem Elokeinu Aleinu, and Yoshe Beseta Elyon. And then um, there is like a whole lot of other stuff that, that that is said. But I'd like to stop over here. 
because one might think, okay, this is like a little on the ridiculous side. Why say so much? Well, firstly, if you actually are looking at the translation of these verses, you can see that these verses elicit um, prayer and hope that you that that you will be guarded, that your help, God, I am looking for, that God looked after the Jews when they traveled in the desert, both at night and during the day, and you're asking God to do that now, that God will bless you in everything that you do, and that the, the angel that looked after um, our forefather Yaakov should also look after, after, after you. Very interesting, though, why these verses, So, and this is how we'll end. If you look at the first word of L'Shuatcha, the first word of Vayehi from Vayehi bin Aaron, the first word Yivarechacha Hashem and Hamalacha Goel, the first letter of each of these four verses, the Lamed, the Vav, the Yud, and the He, all um, land up with numerical values. The Lamed has a numerical value of 30, the Vav has a numerical value of 6, the Yud a value of 10, and the He a value of 5. And all of those add up to the, to the, to, to the initial letters spelling out Levaya, which means an escort. Okay? And that is why when you land up, adding up all the times that you're saying things, you're landing up with the same um, value. So the Lamed has a numerical value of 30, and so we say the first verse, Leshuatcha Kiviti Hashem, 30 times. Vayhi bin Soaron, the Vav has a value of 6, so we say it 6 times. Yivarecha Hashem Vishmarecha, that has a value of 10, so we say it 10 times. And Hamalacha Goel, the He has a value of um, 5, and so we say it 5 times. And in saying these verses, the person who is escorting out is giving a blessing to the person on their way that they should be absolutely successful. Again, something that we learned for our forefather Abraham who got up and escorted um, the angels on their way. What a beautiful custom and what a beautiful mitzvah, a mitzvah of a haftalarecha kamocha that you love your fellow Jew as you love yourself, and an extension of the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim. Um, and it is only there, surely, to engender much peace and love between people and good prayers between people. I think a beautiful thing. And with that, I leave you to move on with the week. Have a wonderful week. And please, God, I will be back same time, same place next week.